The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show and our Week Five recap, not including Sunday Night Football, which we cannot get to for logistical issues. We got to the rest of the Sunday slate. That includes the Falcons. I would say somehow beating the Texans. I was disappointed in that one. Yeah. The Eagles pythoning the Rams per Denny Carter, our first guest tonight, and the Lions uh, just horribly exposing the Carolina Panthers and continuing to look like a juggernaut, even without Amon Ross St. Brown. And Jameer Gibbs, Kyle Dvorak will be here later. The whole rest of the gang will be here later talking the entire Sunday slate. But Danny, we will start with the Falcons and Texans. All week, we were saying it was Jover. Jover, Jover, Jover for Kyle Pitts. We were finally cutting bait. Uh, No point in pretending more. We said, sure, all the leading indicators remain good. He's commanding every share you can think of. Like this man is just dominating the shares and – Sure, that doesn't equal any actual production whatsoever, but we're cutting bait. Uh, we cut bait right before he had seven catches for 87 yards with Jonah Smith, also six catches for 67 yards. Desmond Ritter with a very usable-looking box score here. What happened with Kyle Pitts? What happened with Desmond Ritter in this game? Yeah, I mean, like, look, we've mentioned, and, and our, our, our Zoomer co-host uh, and colleague Kyle Dvorak has been um, want to point out that Kyle Pitts is running all the routes in this offense, and it's true. Uh, I think we all saw the Kyle Pitts tape this week where he's literally just falling over his, his tripping over his own feet on every yes. route. That was something. Uh, but uh, yeah, it turns out that this Falcons offense truly seems to run through the tight end position. Nearly 40% of the team's targets entering this week were to the tight end position. <laughs> okay. Like that's, that's a, that's a wild league leading rate. Okay. That, so, yeah, like you said, that was for 18 of those targets went that way today on 37 attempts. Exactly. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about, you know, Hey, uh, you know, on Thursday show, Hey, maybe Janu and Pitts can get there, can both be fantasy viable because of, because of how the ball is distributed in this Atlanta offense. And today it, it worked. I mean, if you started Janu, you're, you're happy. If you, if you stuck with Pitts, you're not crying for the first time all season, which is nice. Uh, and, and, um, yeah. And then Pitts seemed to be the first retarget on many, many of the, uh, scripted plays early in the game. And then when the Falcons were sort of playing catch up later in the game. So we didn't even mention Drake London, six catches for 78 yards. And it, 
You got three players having six catches in this Falcons offense is not something that would have seemed possible any of the first four weeks of the right. season, just because right. of how they play and because of how Desmond Ritter had looked, which was just bad. 28 for 37 for 329 yards and a touchdown. No turnovers. I don't think he lost a fumble. Yeah, no, he did not lose a fumble. No turnovers for Desmond Ritter. We engineered a game-winning drive. Uh, anyway, you slice it, the best start of Desmond Ritter's very young pro career. We have basically declared him not an NFL-level starter. Uh, how did he get there on Sunday against the Texans? How did he finally produce a useful game, both for himself and his pass catchers? Yeah, made us look uh, pretty silly. And um, I, I do think it was kind of a perfect storm where the the Texans were just giving the Falcons nothing on the ground, with, which usually doesn't matter to Arthur Smith. Uh, usually he's still happy to run his guys into a brick wall over and over. But he, he did, to his credit, and I, I always credit Arthur Smith where it's due, uh, to his credit, they they did turn to the pass and they said, okay, like it, we're, we're we need we got to score some points, we got to gain some yards, especially late in the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, they they really took to the air. I would I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the pass rate over expected in this game because I'm thinking Pat, it might be close to zero. I don't know on which side of it, but <laughs> it might be close to zero, which is which is which is making progress. We're making progress, I think. That would be um, an explosion for the Panthers pass rate over expected. Falcons, yes, right, right. Excuse and uh, yeah, and and uh you know, Desmond Ritter had a design rush in the green zone that that resulted in the in the running touchdown. So I mean, it was it was encouraging. Uh, I, I I don't know if I'm like fully bought into this idea that Desmond Ritter is suddenly good. Uh, he missed look. He missed like a handful of really routine NFL kind of throws today. I'm ta- I'm talking about mi- you know missing three yards behind the the the, the receiver. Um, not you know checking down to the wrong guy. Like so, I I don't think we're out of the woods with Ritter, but it was a good day. Uh, it was a good day against a defense that made Trevor Lawrence look really bad the week before, but yeah. one game, uh, I'm not a believer yet to put it mildly, but like I said, he got the touchdown on the ground too. So as things got less crazy in the Falcons skill core with the targets, they went back to kind of nonsense on the ground where Tyler Algier in a very close game out carried Bijan Robinson, 17 to 14. Neither had a good day with the box were both under 50 yards rushing and neither well, Bijan did have a receiving touchdown, so not a total zero of a fantasy day. He had a lost fumble as well. How did this happen? How did this we revert, revert back to this, mm-hmm. what I would say, horribleness on the ground? You would say you would, you're loving it because you're uh, Tyler Algier true there, but how did this happen? I mean, yes. Do I have a lot of Tyler Algier on my best ball teams? I do. Okay. And do I like getting six and a half fantasy points for my guy? I do. All right. <laughs> so six and so, a half uh, this, I got, to the I bank. Got Yes, yes, straight straight to the bank with that one. Get a, a take out another loan based on that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And- uh, yep, need another loan because the best ball teams are in shambles. So you know, Bijan was used again, like you know, behind Algier for much of the second half. It really wasn't that. It didn't break break down that way in the first half. It looked like a Bijan type type of game. The thing is with Bijan, like he does a lot of really cool things. He makes a lot of really cool moves. The announcers. I mean, just start talking about him like he's Barry Sanders and nothing against Bijan. I mean, you know, he seems like a fine young man and he's a very he's, good. He's uh, been very good also so far this season, Denny. So, and, but, but wow, wow, wow. We are talking about Bijan in ways that I did not anticipate so early in his NFL career. And, and, uh, it all, it amounts to 11 fantasy points today. Um, so I, I, I just, 
I, I don't know like what to say beyond he's he's not in positive game script or, or neutral script, which was a lot of today. He's just not going to dominate touches the way we want. Okay. He saw two targets, caught both of them. His touchdown catch was very cool. He caught it basically behind his back because it was such an awful throw from from Desmond Ritter. Um, so, but but I I think you know he's a he's a steady floor option for fantasy, but I just don't know if he's going to get that 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 ceiling sort of usage here. That does seem to be the takeaway that when they're playing either from ahead or essentially in a tied game, they are just insistent on this strict committee, which. I, I genuinely just don't think makes any sense based on any efficiency metric. Rush no. yards over expected, for instance, he absolutely dominates Tyler Algier. Based on versatility, based on, of course, the eye test, it just seems like oh, offensive coordinator and Arthur Smith insisting on imposing his will, seeing things that no one else sees, and that it seems quite silly to me, but it also, yeah, it seems like maybe it's not changing. And Bijan, thankfully, is still getting home. He, he gets home in so many ways that he hasn't even been close to a fantasy bus. Yeah, but we just we haven't seen the ceiling that is just very clearly there. Oh, it's fair. It's very there. clearly there. You know, it, if he if he were to get eighteen carries a game ish, right around there, and then like four or five targets. I mean, th- this guy is going like through the roof. Like only CMC outscores him this year if that happens. So the, the Falcons of the Commanders, a struggling defense. In yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. We're going to keep it going with the, these Falcons players next week. We'll learn a lot about Desmond Ritter. If he can string together back-to-back games, uh, even against a bad defense, that's always first step towards actually being useful is <clears> having <throat> good days. In the spots where you're supposed to have good days, C.J. Stroud had been doing that for a while. He'd been exceeding expectations for now, basically, a better part of a month. His first down game in a while, they did still almost win. Not, a, not an amazing box score, not supplying big fantasy days for anyone other than Dalton Schultz. <laughs> What was the tale of the the Texans offense? Uh, how did they kind of come back down to earth? Yeah, Stroud just looked uncomfortable all day. You know, had a, had a lot of plays where he was flushed out of the pocket. He had guys open in, you know, in the intermediate areas and he just missed. And you know, one of his biggest throws of the day was a te- was a ho- I'm sorry, biggest gains of the day was a horrible throw to Tank Dell and and Dell made an an incredible catch off off the uh turf just before the ball hit the, hit the ground. So, uh, you know, Tank Dell built him out there. Dalton Schultz had a couple of nice catches that really were off target. Um, I'm not really sure what the Falcons were doing to, to make him so uncomfortable because one thing CJ Stroud has looked over his, you know, first four games of his career is, is very comfortable in the pocket. Very poised, very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I I know it's no time to panic. If you, are streaming him or, 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 you know, using him in super flex, you're going to continue to do that next week against, I think they're playing the the saints. And, and really, I think it was a good sign that Stroud, he drove them down uh, in the fourth quarter and threw a, 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 a touchdown to Dalton Schultz to take the lead with a minute left. <clears throat> the Falcons came back and kicked the field goal to win, but you know, he, he'll be fine. It was not a good day though. Not a good day, but not like you said, a horribly discouraging day. And, the Falcons defense is just a little bit for real. Even the past two weeks and the losses to the Jaguars and the Lions, their offense didn't do anything. They contain two pretty good offenses in the Jaguars and the Lions. I'm sure that's part of it too, just the Falcons being a little bit for real. Uh, we're going to move on to the next game, but Damian Pierce just remaining super inefficient. 20 carries oh. for 66 yards. 
But Devin Singletary is not applying any touch pressure whatsoever. None. And at some point, yeah. it'd be nice to see Damian Pierce do something with all this work. Yeah, uh, Pierce three three 3.3 yards per carry today. He had he had a 15-yard run and basically nothing else. 66 yards on 20 carries. Uh, Pierce caught his only target for 16 yards. I guess that was the highlight. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it's – I mean, Pierce – Pierce is getting an RB one workload by by far, like like easily, but he's really not delivering RB one numbers for you. But as long as he has this workload, you can't bench him. You got to keep playing him. Moving on to the Eagles and the Rams, twenty three to fourteen Eagles victory. You told me that there was a pretty clear theme to this game, and it was the the Eagles basically. I, I don't want to say sucking the air out of it because they got numbers for their guys. Another big game for AJ Brown. Dallas Goddard finally welcomed to the season with eight, eight catches, 117 yards, a touchdown. DeAndre Swift, 17 for 70, was held out of the end zone. Cooper Cup's return, Pukunukua, we wanted to know how they would coexist. And you said there wasn't a ton of volume to go around. What happened in this game? Yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles uh, basically looked at the defense the Rams were playing, which was two high safeties the whole time. And they said, okay, we will dink and we will dunk until you are no more. And that's and that's what they did. Um, lots of short passes from Hertz to Goddard to AJ Brown to uh, DeAndre Swift. Lots of rushes uh, from Jalen Hurts. Fifteen rushes for for seventy two yards. So you know, it, it, they 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 were patient. And Nick Sirianni, I just had talked to the announcers about this. Said teams are playing so far off the line of scrimmage that we've had to become patient, like way more patient than we want to be. And just take what they're giving us, and that's what they did here. The the tush push or the brotherly love special or whatever it's called, brotherly shove, Bro- brotherly. Come on, I can't. Come on Denny. Come on. Oh, sorry, I'm not. I know. I I'm not up to the with the uh, with the zoomers and what they're calling it these days. Um, it, but uh, that was unstoppable, and 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 honestly, that play extended uh, a handful of drives multiple times. <laughs> In this game, it got Jalen Hurts his rushing touchdown. Um, it it is it's truly a, a, a play that cannot be stopped. Uh, and you know, like I I joked on Twitter, the only thing you need is a quarterback who can leg press a Soviet tank. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing you need for that play. Jalen Hurts, the best rugby player in the entire world, and yeah, it sounds like once again the safeties are T W O damn high, Denny. They're they're too. Damn high. Even they though some are. people told us it's only one safety, <laughs> but the safety is just so, so high. But so yeah, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Cooper Cup, I mean, I don't know, man. I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be this predictable that he would just come back and get 12 targets <laughs> and eight catches, 118 yards, but he just yeah. did. Like, no one in the NFL can defend him, apparently, nope. uh, or they, can, they can't defend his usage. Puka Nakua, all was not lost, though. 11 targets, seven catches, 71 yards. He got the touchdown. Yeah. He also got the lost fumble. Or I don't know if they lost. I think he fumbled in the Cooper Cup recovered it, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not great for not bad. old Puka. But not the worst thing. If, if we were wondering if Puka – we knew he wasn't going to hold serve as like 10 catches, 162 yards, 19 yeah. targets. But pretty good outcome for the first uh, post-Cooper Cup game for Puka Nakua. Uh, 63% target share between Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup. Okay, so – this is what we thought it would be, and and it's a it's a tightly condensed target distribution for the Rams. I think it'll continue to be that. Uh, Cooper Cup had four catches 
and on the Rams first six plays from scrimmage, like, and you were like, Oh, okay. So he's going to come out and catch 25 passes in his first game back. Um, and, and honestly, I, I really do think it would have been a 15 catch plus get day for Cooper cup. If they, if the Rams had had their regular uh, uh, play volume on offense and they really just didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, Puka had one bad drop, you know, so, you know, he's lost 15, 20 yards there. Uh, you know, beyond that, it was, it was fine. I, I think that, that Cooper cup is a locked in top 10 option and maybe Puka's just outside of that right now. That's basically how I had them ranked. I think maybe I had them flipped. I think I had Puka as the higher option, but I think clearly both are going to coexist inside the top 18 with buys. There's been a lot of weeks where they coexist in like the top 12 or 13. And I, I wouldn't even take it for granted that Cooper is going to be like the breadwinner every week, getting like the lion's share. Cause like you said, that, that was purposeful on the first drive for Cooper Cup. They were sending a message to Cooper Cup, sending a message to the NFL. Like, we still rely on you, man. Like, we know yeah. you've been hurt. We know Puka is amazing, but you're still Cooper Cup. But I mean, there's going to be some weeks, I think, where I'm comfortable saying Puka will outproduce him. And uh, I'm going to look sure. like a clown when sure. that never, ever happens. We're about to move on to three. But Kyra Williams continuing to get every snap. Ronnie Rivers um, is in the game for like maybe a handful of plays. He looks like a, the definition of a replacement level player. And maybe kind of touchdown dependent is how I would describe Kyron Williams. Yeah, right. He's not he's not getting anything that's not blocked. 13 carries for 53 yards today. He had one 11 yard run, and that that was basically it. Uh, caught both of his targets for four yards. I mean, his, his target, uh, you know, his targets are going to take a huge hit with with Cooper Cup coming back, um, and that's just just the way it goes. I. I, I, I really do think that you have to keep starting him just because he's out there all the time and the Rams are usually going to be pretty good and, and very pass heavy. I mean, you know, they're, I think, 6% over their expected pass rate coming into this game. I bet you they're even higher over that expected pass rate now after this game. So, um, you know, Ky- Kyron is, is not going to get there as often, but uh, he's still, he's still going to see, you know, green zone touches and he's still going to run all the routes in the offense. So we put a nice little bow there on Eagles-Rams. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. 42 to 24 was the Lions' victory over the Panthers. I covered this game. You didn't think that was a competitive score, but it was even less competitive than that. I think it was 28 to 10 at halftime. Right. Uh, the Lions totally dominated pace, tempo on offense and defense. What do you want me to ask, ask me about the yeah. game? Though? Okay, I want to ask you about David Montgomery because it looked like Montgomery was on his way to a nuclear fantasy outing and it ended up just being a pretty good fantasy outing here against the Panthers was he basically like put on ice in the second half for Craig Reynolds or was that just in the fourth quarter what happened there 
wasn't totally put on ice, but yeah, all seven of Craig Reynolds' carries were in the second half. And yeah, I think he had 13 fewer touches than he did the week prior, which you would just not expect with Jameer Gibbs out of the game. But yeah, there were three Panthers turnovers. So there were a lot of short Lions fields. And that kind of that hurt. Like not competitive in the second half because you know, uh, Craig Reynolds didn't have a touch in the first half. And it did look like he was going just totally nuclear. Had the 42-yard touchdown run. Not even, yeah, like the kind of like Jamal Williams role, quote-unquote, carries we had gotten used to with David Montgomery. He had one or two of those that were stuffed. I can't remember the exact number, but David Montgomery was stuffed at least once, I believe twice at the goal line, where he then did not follow up with a touchdown. Yeah, uh, They had a really short touchdown to Sam Laporta at one point. They had another short touchdown. Uh, to someone like really unsatisfied, Josh, Re- Josh Reynolds, yeah, Josh Reynolds, that's correct. And th- just a few of the little things went wrong. And yeah, I think those short fields hurt because those led, I think, to 14 Lions points where they had very didn't have far to go. So that cut into the compiling, the lopsided nature of the score cut into the compiling, and not at all like a judgment on David Montgomery's use because he was like the every snap player, yeah, and will remain so. In week six, no, no trouble in paradise. I mean, don't don't if you came into this game knowing that David Montgomery is the best running back in the NFL, which he is. That that's still very, very <laughs> much the case. And yeah, this was this a product of environment and score and this a little uh, fluky things stuff. Sure. Craig Reynolds short fields, how I would say it. Yeah, it was. I I felt like it was the worst case scenario for folks who played Montgomery in DFS or whatever. Is just this blowout script that kind of put him, like I said, on ice. Uh, stick with the Lions for a minute. Uh, Jameson Williams gets some playing time, doesn't do much. I saw I saw him short arm or alligator arm a uh, pass in the middle of the field. I'm sure that Dan Campbell loves that. I'm, I'm sure that he's just obsessed with that play. There was a yeah, decision of business made. It was. <laughs> it was. So, decision of so you know, uh, going forward, what do you see uh, his role being in this offense? Well, it's really interesting because Amon Ross St. Brown, not active for this game, and he still only gets three targets. Marvin Jones, though, still does nothing. Josh Reynolds, I think he's had 66 yards every game, but his donut, he had a donut last week. His targets didn't increase. It was only like five or six. His role seemed like it remained the exact same with no Amon Ross St. Brown, which in your head, like, okay, maybe that leaves some room for Jamison Williams to grow. And you don't see it in the box score because it was two catches for two yards. And then the third target was this, this aforementioned horrible drop that you referenced, but I, I didn't notice this live, but on the 42 yard David Montgomery touchdown, he apparently threw a hellacious block. Oh, okay. And like lions Twitter was all about it. Apparently Dan Campbell, shockingly, this may shock you was all about the big receiver block <laughs> okay. and said after the game that he was on a snap count today, but the snaps will grow in week six, six against the bucks. And there's still not a lot to cling to with Jamison Williams where, this is an offense that wants to keep the pass attempts lower. It wants to be run first. It has an alpha targets dominator in Amon Ra. Um, there's not really a case to construct for Jamison Williams, but it, it, it wasn't a all is lost day. And you can't still like maybe cling to the idea that in a 12 team league, just keep him with one of your final bench spots. Maybe he's enough of a playmaker that like something will happen. And it, it, it was on the whole, uh, it, at worst, a neutral day for Jamison Williams. Yeah. In his 2023 debut. Uh, Adam Thielen, uh, 11 catches on 13 targets today. It uh, leads the team in, in all categories. I know it seems a little PPR scammy 
at this point for Thielen. But uh, is he is he a must start? You think in twelve team leagues? He has he's become that way. I think it's three straight games of at least seven catches for seventy six yards. He has a touchdown. I think three of the past four weeks. He's over a hundred yards two of the past three weeks. Today was one of those games where you basically felt his presence. It wasn't one of those things where you looked at the box where like, how does Adam Thielen have eight catches? Right. Like, right. like it wasn't like he's in a horrible offense, comeback game script, blah, blah, blah. You were feeling his presence. Like he was basically making plays, I guess is how you would say it. And about half his production came in the first half where they were already playing from behind, but this was not all like horribly inflated garbage time. I believe the touchdown was in the second half, but it, it wasn't like box score inflated. He is just looking as healthy as he's looked in a long time. He's, by far the best playmaker in the South. Jonathan Mingo is commanding about five or six targets every week. But like no one is even coming close to challenging Adam Thielen for like top dog status or even like like, like oh he might cut in. Like Adam yeah. Thielen remained the targets leader, but Jonathan Mingo might really cut into that. It just looks like he's heads and shoulders above everyone else in the skill core. Uh to the to the backfield in Carolina, uh your favorite player, Miles Sanders, looks yes. like <laughs> Is that too soon? It's too soon. Uh, it, you know, uh, looks like he has, has once again lost a lot of work to Chuba Hubbard and LaVisca Chenault. Miles uh, Sanders had seven rushes, uh, and Hubbard had nine, and Chenault had five. What, was the LaVisca stuff in the in garbage time, or what was what, that? About? No. In fact, four of LaVisca Chenault's carries were in the first half, didn't he? Wow. And- one of them went down to the one yard line and he was like absolutely despondent that he <laughs> house it for a score. And I believe the next play then it was like a play action. T- I can't remember, but he didn't get the score. Long story short. And Chuba only three of, I believe his nine carries were in the first half. Uh, some of the Sanders hive on Twitter was correctly pointing out that Chuba's work was in second half comeback mode, but, the problem is, I mean, comeback mode is going to be one of the most common modes for this offense. Yeah. Miles Sanders on. seems like he's like, has no trust in the passing game whatsoever anymore. He lost the really soft fumble. He's like a guy who really needs to be in a good offensive environment, it seems like. And he's not in a good offensive environment. I don't, I, Chuba Hubbard's probably not better than Miles Sanders. Maybe he's a better pure runner, though. Or I, I think the coaching staff is, if, if they're not making the move, the Chuba Hubbard necessarily, they're definitely making the move to like a genuine committee. Yeah. And the, just like the Eagles, like the really smart Eagles coaching staff seem like it can never fully commit to Miles Sanders. The Panthers tried it for a week or two. Uh, this seems like they can't commit to the guy. And maybe there's some game script stuff involved, but these scripts are going to be really bad more weeks than not. And that very much right. includes week six where they have to play the Miami Dolphins. Yikes. Yeah. I, I, I do think that we, when you get into a position as a fantasy manager where you're having to like perfectly predict game script, uh, you're uh, you're going to be on the losing end of that more often than not because uh, you know if if everything has to be perfect for Miles Sanders to see twelve touches, then it's it's not it's it's not going to be good uh, very often. Uh, I, I do think that Hubbard obviously needs to be rostered in a lot of twelve team leagues in, in case Sanders goes down or. Or, or misses time. Anything else from this Panthers offense you wanted to mention? No, nothing else. Uh, Panthers are a bit of a tough watch. I they are. That. They seem yeah. like not an easy watch is what I'm not, saying. Bryce Young finally had like a bit of a moxie game. I'll say it, but, uh, like, but they, they literally brought in Andy Dalton to do a quarterback sneak. Oh, like that, That's getting towards like down bad territory. 
uh, yeah. where you're too tiny to do the quarterback sneak. I did, uh, I did see that. Couldn't help but notice that. Yeah, yeah that's that's bad. So the Panthers offense, I think I ranked it as the number 32 fantasy offense when I did my rankings over the you summer. Did. And they are, they're they're going to be in the mix. They're definitely going to yeah. be in the mix. For I just I do want to say uh, to the Zoomers with Adam Thielen, uh, are you triggered? Because uh, I, I, <laughs> I feel like us older millennials were saying, "Don't forget about Thielen." Is that Thielen is watched? I forgot that you were. I think you were on the Thielen train. Oh my Thielen god, Thielen Hive. It's it's oh. me and three other guys. For Patrick Hardy, for, for Denny Carter, I'm Patrick Darty. Uh, get out of here. <laughs> we are now joined by Mr. Kyle Dvorak, who is here to talk about football's newest Death Star. The Miami Dolphins, who just I don't just have 500 yards of offense every time they play, especially at home, they're just an absolute buzzsaw at home. 31 to 16 over the Giants. Kyle is going to ask me about the worst game of the day: the Saints 34 to nothing win over the Patriots. Uh, but yeah, we, we've got more death starring from the, the Dolphins. You were saying in our work Slack check that Mike McDaniel's now your one one in the coach rankings of who you would build around. What did we see from the Dolphins? And also, did they just get kind of bored in the second half? Where I guess they got bored against the Broncos in that 70-pointer, but the Broncos' defense was so bad they just couldn't stop them at all. But it certainly seemed like we could have like another 700-yard, 50-point day from the Dolphins, and they kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half. Yeah, they definitely took their foot off. We got some pretty, like, run-of-the-mill Raheem Mostert first and ten run, third or second and, like, eight run type of stuff where you could tell that I think they just knew the Giants had nothing. The Giants from start to finish, I mean, they didn't score a touchdown in this one. The only touchdown, I think, yeah, the only touchdown they scored was a two of pick six, which we'll get to. But I think it, it didn't take long. It was not, they took their foot off the gas sometime in the second half. You could have figured out about one quarter in that they didn't need to put up many points. You know, they didn't really need to put up a ton of points against the Broncos, but at least like Russell Wilson looked good and they were sort of scoring points at will. They weren't quite scoring points at at will here and they just didn't have to. So I I think had this game been, I mean, this is true of any Dolphins game. If it is more competitive, which it isn't always and doesn't always need to be, they will put up points with complete reckless abandon. This is just one of the, I think this is the one-on-one of coaching. I think this is the best schemed offense by a pretty considerable margin, given how creative it is, how good it is when it runs the football, but how it doesn't use that as a crutch to not pass. I think this is the best offense scheme-wise. I don't think it's the best offense in total. It might, hell, it might be the best offense in total points. I actually, they're probably going to be the best offense in total points when you have a 70-point game on the resume. So, yeah, this is like the best offense in the league. So a big part of that, of course, is Devin A. Chan, who... He is like the classic. He can't keep getting away with it on like these small touch counts, but three weeks in a row now, just absolutely unbelievable and, and absolutely believable efficiency. I was about to say inefficiency. This is how good Devin Achan has been. The week they had 203 yards rushing, had his lowest yards per carry. Of the That's a real weeks. stat, isn't it? He is. He's wow. averaged 11.3 yards per carry, 12.6 yards per carry, and 13. yards per carry. He's had at least one 55-yard carry each the past three weeks. He has five rushing touchdowns in that span. It's going to give at some point, obviously, but we almost have to call him. It's crazy to call someone who's like in the 10 to 14 touch range. He was ranked as an RB1 this week, though, partly because of the matchups being so good. But he's an every week RB1, right? I mean, that's not even a controversial statement, is it? Especially heading into a game – they're playing a really, really bad Panthers team in week six. 
Yeah, not controversial at all. Like you said, the matchup, I think it really is not going to matter based on the matchup, but you certainly can't point to the next week and say like, oh, well, I'm not really sure how things are going to work out for the ground game in this one. Panthers are going to almost, it's going to look like this game. It's actually, you know what? I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. It's probably going to look a lot like this game. Panthers have been a little frisky late in games, but it's always been when it's too late. So to me, maybe that actually keeps the Dolphins from at least pulling their starters. I think they'll have no issue putting up points. Then they're just such a, like watching them run is such a different experience than watching some of these other teams run. I think it was the very first carry of for A-chan in this game was he's like lined up out wide. They bring him in on orbit motion and then they have like a play fake to I think it's like Jalen Waddle in the backfield and he breaks a 20-yard run. Uh it's just so uh so different. Their pre-snap motion is so creative and they're getting HN going from like like he got the ball in this like orbit motion behind to uh multiple times like two or three times in this game. By the time he is hitting the line of scrimmage, the dude is like quite literally running at 20 miles an hour. The Dolphins have, uh, at least at the time of the, unless something has happened since then, a few games have happened, at the time of the Tyreek Hill long touchdown, the top seven fastest ball carrier plays per next-gen stats. All seven of them. That is, like, that That seems like the most insane statistical anomaly that you could have the fastest play, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and the top, I think, second and third, it was actually first and second were both A-chan plays. And then Reek got the number one play later in the game. This is a team that is just built on mind-melting like mind -melting efficiency, but also they're going to pass a decent amount and play fast enough. So they're checking all the boxes, including A-chan RB1 box checked for sure. Yeah, A-chan, like you said, who has a claim to be quite literally called the fastest player in the league and they've figured out a way to have him essentially running full speed when he gets the ball. Like It's so unfair. It's going to take quite an adjustment. I mean, teams are going to adjust, but this going to be quite an adjustment you're going to have to make to try to slow that down. And then even if you counter that and stop that, then you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, the, yeah. the third fastest player on this team, or maybe like even the fourth fastest player in like Mostert or Jalen Waddle, are the fastest player on got to be something like 24 yes. to 26 offensive teams in the in the rest of the league. I'm glad you mentioned Jalen Waddle on that too, because Raheem Mostert famous for his straight line speed, but Jalen Waddle is blindingly fast. And you don't even think about it because of Tyreek Hill, Raheem Mostert, and now Devin H. There's another kind of quiet box score for Jalen Waddle. He, he did score the touchdown, five catches, 35 yards and a touchdown. He led the team in 10 targets. We have kind of been telling fantasy managers, like, listen, man, it's just a matter of time where he has the blow up game. He finally got the score. But four straight kind of quiet box scores. Is there any reason for concern with Jalen Waddle? Not for concern. I mean, I think it's kind of clear that he is not the priority in this offense in the sense of HN scheme touches are probably going to come before scheme touches to Waddle. And then Tyreek Hill, obviously, both as a target earner, but then also a scheme targets guy is going to come before him. But like you said, in this game, he led the team in targets. It didn't produce a ton of fantasy points, but he led the team in targets. And he was targeted in the end zone, like standing in the end zone, three or four times in this game he only came down with one of them Yikes. one of them was a pick six uh <laughs> i forget what happened on like one or two of the other ones but his like expected fantasy points in this game was incredible and that's on a team that produces over expected just like clockwork so sure i think he is obviously going to be uh m like considerably more boom bust among these offensive players we have on this team but I like I promise you, we are getting a boom game from him. And the the floor games are looking like this. Oh, a four for 65. Oh, five for 31, but a touchdown. The floor games are usable. The ceiling games, we're, we're getting 130 and two touchdowns at some point in the next month or so. 
You mentioned the pick six. It wasn't to his greatest game from a eye test perspective, but he once again stuffed the box score, going to do so in week six. The other side of the ball, the Giants, I mean, things just keep getting more and more dispiriting. Kind of surprisingly, no Saquon Barkley in this game. Rookie Eric Gray ended up leading the backfield. Darren Waller finally had a good box score, but was it actually a good game? And Daniel Jones, very concerningly, has a history of neck issues depart with a neck issue and sounding very uncertain about his immediate future after the game. What do we tell people this Giants offense where things just keep getting worse before they're going to get better and uh, they ain't getting better in week <laughs> six in Buffalo against the Bills? Yeah, they're just not. I mean, there are so many problems. I think they don't have uh, like a strong number one receiver. And until this point, even Darren Waller wasn't functioning as that. To his credit, in this game, he 100% looked like the player they traded for. He was getting the ball in a, in a manner that wasn't Wandale Robinson minus three yard catches, which like that looks like what the offense is built on when Darren Waller isn't getting targeted. He's moving the chains, moving the ball downfield. But I still don't know if he is it looks like he's out there alone because they have so little production coming from all of the other receivers. And that's when he looks good. He hasn't looked good throughout the year. So even when that piece gets going, there are so many other dominoes that need to fall into place. And very few of them do. I think they entered this game either down two or three starting linemen starting left tackle was out. I think starting center, John Michael Schmitz was out too. They lose the right guard at some point in the first or second quarter. At some point they benched the backup left tackle. I think it was after the sack that messed up Daniel Jones's neck. And then even after that, I think Tyrod Taylor took one more sack that I doubt there was much he could do on it. So the offensive line is an issue. Quarterback play was an issue, not to, you know, completely write off Daniel Jones saying he would have had a great game if it wasn't for the, for the line. He's also been struggling. The receivers aren't coming up with much. And until this point, Darren Waller hadn't done anything. The running backs are, are, I mean, the blocking hasn't been great for them, but they're not adding much on top of that. So there's like in any game, in any series of plays, maybe one thing kind of goes right. Wandale breaks a little bit of yak or there's a good run. They cannot parlay all of these horrific events from not happening over the course of a series, let alone an entire game, an entire season. How much of a downgrade do you think Tyrod Taylor would be for week six against the Bills? Again, they're going into an absolute hornet's nest. The Bills team just had a really frustrating loss. Probably going to be close like two touchdown favorites. Can we... Is it how concerning would Tyrod Taylor be for Darren Waller, maybe Wondell Robinson, maybe Saquon Barkley, who should finally return, I feel like, in week six? I don't think it's a horrific downgrade in that, like, Daniel Jones isn't playing well, but I think so much of this team's issue is the offensive line. I mean, I haven't watched every team's every snap, but given, I mean, the offensive line was pretty poor before this run of bad injuries. They're probably the worst in the league right now. Tyrod kind of plays similar. He is like a mobile, but also sack taker who plays relatively conservative as a passer. All things that relatively describe Daniel Jones. Tyrod Taylor is even like a kind of solid deep ball thrower. Just doesn't do it. Uh, but the PPR scam is so, so limiting too. Because what was uh, Wandale's stat line in this one? He had like sub 30, I mean, sub 20 yards on five catches. There is no upside. Like for him to have a good game, Outside of a touchdown, which he's only getting it if they're on the three-yard line because that's where his targets come, you're centering your distribution of fantasy points between like three and nine points. There's just nothing happening outside of that range. But then Hodgins, Slayton, Campbell, Hyatt, they're not seeing the ball at all. 
I wouldn't play anyone on this team except Saquon if he comes back and Waller and Waller's mostly just because tight end is terrible. Kyle Pitts has like a what five catch for 80 yard day. And I am just through the moon because he's probably like a top six tight end. And I really needed that. That's the same thing with Darren Waller. I think there will be more bad games in his future because this offense is struggling, but the opportunity cost is low enough and the talent is still there to some degree. You're probably just playing him because the alternative is to pick up Logan Thomas, who I still am going to rank him ahead, but like Logan Thomas cannot score. You might think it couldn't get more depressing than what Kyle just laid out the New York Giants, but 34 to nothing loss for the New England Patriots outscored 72 to three over the past two weeks. It was genuinely hard to see how Mac Jones could be worse in week five than he was in week four, but he just was awful pick six, another interception that wasn't quite his fault but it wasn't a great ball to tie Montgomery. The pick six, he was climbing the pocket for no reason, threw as he got hit, and then it fluttered. Horrible decision, lost a fumble. He lost two receivers to concussions, Pop Douglas and Juju Smith-Schuster, his two best receivers. So somewhat of an alibi there, but it seems like he's playing slower every week. It seems like he's pressing with this. Nothing, nothing good going on with Mac Jones. Easy victory for the Saints, Kyle. What do you want to ask me about this game? Like, what is, I guess it's sort of the same thing. Like, what do we even do with this team from a fantasy angle? To me, especially when you look at, oh, for a team, I said when Saquon comes back, you're probably still playing Saquon because he's going to get a bunch of touches, also get a bunch of targets. We don't really have that out in this in this team, this offensive environment either, because by the looks of it, if, if you can tell me this is kind of how it went, Mondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott split carries evenly at eight apiece. Both of them averaged three or fewer yards per carry. And neither of them got a ton of work. Stevenson didn't catch a pass. He was targeted twice, didn't catch either. And Zeke, I mean, I guess Zeke caught four balls. Is there Concerning. any like, PPR scam with Zeke? Is there any separation between them? When were their carries coming? Or is it truly like zero usable fantasy assets on this team? It's weird. It's been like a target standstill between Zeke and Ramondre basically since week one, which that's very, very concerning for Ramondre because that was obviously the heart of his fantasy value. And we know there's no goal line carries right now <laughs> in this offense. And even if we got regular goal line carries, I'm sure Zeke would get some of those. It, it seems a hopeless when you lay it out for Andre Stevenson. But after this game, Bill Belichick, they basically asked him, like, what's going to happen? And he, he literally said, like, we're starting over. He just kept saying we're starting over. And I don't understand. I, I, I think they have to do that. How could they not go all in on the running game? And, you know, they did that during the Cam Newton years, and I'm sure they had better – interior offensive line play. They, of course, had Cam Newton at that point, the probably the greatest rushing quarterback in NFL history. But I don't really see how he doesn't just throw this car fully in reverse, kind of abandon any pretense of trying to like establish a passing game. And they get a really soft Raiders defense in week six. I think we might start to see like a ferocious ground game commitment. Maybe I'm totally naive and don't understand. Like, I know they've had some offensive line issues. Like Cole Strange, I believe, was inactive and has been. I can't remember what's going on with him. Maybe they can't really do that with their personnel this year. But I, you can't – it'd be the definition of insanity to attempt to play through Mac Jones again, basically. And I think we're going to see like a totally different Patriots offense going forward because how could you not? Man? I mean, maybe that won't even be possible. Maybe they're not good enough defensively, and they're going to be from behind. They're going to have to pass – but I think against a really rough defense like the Raiders, we're going to see maybe the beginnings of a really run-heavy Patriots offense. I'm, of course, totally guessing. 
Like you said, though, they have to try something. Speaking of trying things, my last question, over under a half of a Bailey Zappi non-injury related start through the rest of the season. Does he get a legitimate start before the season's over? I'm shocked he didn't come in on Sunday. Mac really was that bad. He was that bad in week four. Zappi had his helmet on for a lot. They, they Zappi Zappi got in at some point. I would assume it's true. true he he got in, time. but attempted, yeah. it was true garbage time. But before true garbage time, he had his helmet on. The CBS cameras kept finding him playing catch. Like someone was telling him to stay ready, basically. Yeah, yeah. And he did not come in the game until true garbage time. But we're gonna see Bailey Zappi at some point. And Mac just this is like totally broken. Like no confidence, no one to throw to. Of course, is a big part of it. Um, but this is not working right now with Mac Jones. Other side of the ball, Alvin Kamara, 22 carries for 80 yards. I know, you know, we say it's yards per carry. Don't read too much into it, but sub four yards per carry on a 20 plus touch workload for Alvin Kamara. How does he look in a game like this where the fantasy points get there? He gets 80 yards and a touchdown plus a a slight sprinkling of receiving production, caught all three of his passes for 17 yards. But I have to imagine he doesn't look like the Alvin Kamara we would want him to look like, which is more of that 15 to peaking at 20 touch range, but untouchable on those touches. Yeah, 49 touches in two games since he came back. Kind of crazy. This remains the plan for the Saints because I feel like the whole world knows that's not the role he's best on. And Kendra Miller got 16 touches in this game, but that was almost all garbage time. He had only three carries at halftime. I would like to say Alvin Kamara was like, poor efficiency was a, a product of really predictable run run situations second half. And there, there was part of that, but it was 11 carries for 42 yards for halftime, essentially the same efficiency mark, at least by the boomer stat of yards per carry. And the legs, it's just been clear now for several years, the, his legs are not what they used to be. And it may be a stretch to call him dead legged, but it's not the explosive player that we were used to in his prime. And only three catches, for seven, 17 yards against the Patriots. It very much stands the reason that Jamal Williams is first eligible to return in week 17. They're going to try to return Alvin to more of like his traditional Alvin Kamara role and let Jamal handle some of that between the tackles drudgery. But at least we're getting at least one more week of it because again, Jamal Williams isn't even eligible to return into week seven. We don't even know if he'll be ready to return in week seven against the Houston Texans. And AK used to be as efficient as there was big play based. He's just a volume play like he was last year. And you got the touchdown Sunday. Have pretty decent touchdown odds against the Texans, but he's a volume-based RB1, and that's just the reality of the Alvin Kamara situation, right? Low-end RB1, I should say. Last thing on this team, how the passing game look? Derek Carr still working his way from what I think has been reported to be the AC joint sprain, but was supposedly feeling better for this game. And then we got some very uh, disconcerting Chris Olave pregame warm-up, talks to a trainer, Walks gingerly, talks back to the trainer, some conversation, but never mentioned on the injury report, never mentioned on, uh, never mentioned before this game as like entering now questionable after Saturday or anything tweaked pregame. No, no reports, just one little video clip that people, I, I was going to ask, did they blow it out of proportion? We got a usable stat line that was only usable because of a touchdown, two for 12 on five targets. So how did Derek Carr look with the shoulders still, I'm sure, sure affecting him and Chris Olave with this weird pregame nonsense? Turns out it was his toe for Chris Olave. Did not seem to affect his snaps. Didn't really seem to affect his effectiveness. Um, again, it was all touchdowns, like touchdown basically. So, but he had a second touchdown where he made a really great catch going to ground in the end zone. His elbow hit the turf. It jarred the ball loose. He just didn't quite complete the process. Hashtag 
and it could have been a, a two touchdown day on only five targets. I, he would have seen more targets, of course, if the game had been even remotely competitive. Derek Carr did look a lot better. Two ca- two completions of at least 25 yards down the field. I, mean, I don't know how much of that was yak. I don't think a ton of it was yak with Rashid Shahid and Michael Thomas. There was a 33-yard Kendra Miller catch that was all yak. Uh, he, looked, he looked a lot more comfortable. They didn't have to push the envelope, though. So we don't quite know what we're dealing with. They're going to have to push the envelope like a little more in week six against the Texans, though. Olave, I'm sure practice reps will be rationed this week, but he played the whole game through the toe, and he should be good, Kyle. We should be good. That's enough on this game, 34 to nothing. Kyle Dvorak, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. We now have Mr. Eric Samalski. He's here to talk about London Town, the Jacksonville Jaguars defeating the Buffalo Bills 25-20. And then the Bengals seemingly getting their season on track with a 34-20 victory over the Cardinals. Joe Burrow came back to life. The Bills had come back to life. Eric had just really, really been humming since their week one disappointment against the Jets. 38 points against the Raiders. 37 against the Commanders. 48 against the Dolphins. The box score looked pretty good against the Jaguars for Josh Allen and at least his top passing game weapons, Dalton Kincaid not included. Running game, not so much. How did the Bills offense get so off track in London? Yeah, I mean, I think the the most popular narrative you'll hear is they flew over to London on Friday. Um, and it is a questionable I, decision. I'll say sure, that. it's a questionable decision. I, I will say that, like, just for the NFL, the fact that the Jaguars played in London last week and then stayed in London and played in London this week, but this was a home game for the Bills who had to travel to London. It's just like all all of that whole situation doesn't really make sense. And it feels weird to play the London game when you have a team that's already been in London for over a week. It feels like a game that's kind of more designed for both teams to go over. Um, Anyway, that's grass. Yeah, I digress. (laughs) That's, That's just an NFL question that has to be clear to people who are listening. That has nothing to do with what we're saying about the Bills. That's just, uh, you know, the NFL being the NFL and being weird. Um, the Bills did look just like asleep at the start of the game. So yeah, there could be something that had to do with the, the, um, the travel issues. I think the Bills were just deflated and we can get to that later due to some injuries that happened early in the game. Um, what was interesting is when you mentioned the Bills offense was humming coming into this game um, in play action passes. Josh Allen was first in the NFL in quarterback rating first in the NFL in touchdowns first in the NFL in yards per attempt and third in the NFL in completion percentage. So what did Ken Dorsey do today? He called five total play action passes from under center. Josh Allen, the Bills ran 58 snaps. They ran 47 plays out of shotgun. 
So Josh Allen over the last three weeks has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL under center and not only just under center, but operating in the play action under center. And Ken Dorsey's game plan was 81% of the snaps from shotgun. Um, and so at some point you, you just have to, I know everybody's like, Oh, well, you know, people are too critical of Dorsey. And I think that, you know, the bills media is very critical of Dorsey, but to me in this instance, you have a, an offensive plan that's very clearly working that Dorsey is in part, I assume responsible for and why he decided to totally deviate from that game plan. Um, nobody will know. Hope, hopefully they'll ask him about it, but right now we haven't heard anything directly. Um, and so, you know, there, there's that when, when he isn't, when Josh Allen is in shotgun and he has more time, I think to like see the, the, you know, it feels like almost he goes into panic mode more like he needs to be under center and take the, too much the things that are, yeah, take <laughs> the things that are easy for him. Like he, you know, was in shotgun rolling out, afraid to run for a lot of it. It was kind of just like the back to like tentative and, and inconsistent Josh Allen. I mean, look, they, in the, in the third quarter, they're down 11 to eight and Diggs just crushes his coverage and he's wide open and Josh Allen underthrew him and it wound up being a 48 yard pass to Diggs but Diggs had to come back from the ball for the ball and come back into coverage and make a catch and basically fall down it's like he had five easy yards of separation and you never see Josh Allen underthrow a pass so poorly that the receiver has to literally stop and come back for it so all, all of that was listen the stat line looks good he made the plays that you care about in fantasy it he was not crisp he wasn't efficient all that was maybe especially the shotgun stuff perhaps a product of falling behind 11 to nothing in the first quarter wonky game script for sure, sure. the whole game was wonky it was very disjointed uh some turnovers some strange plays just, just a really, really strange overall game. Lots of, lots of flags. Yeah, just lot, so flags many flags. That was what day. I, I was grasping for. Something. I was like, why did I think this game was so wonky? There were so many flags. Yeah, three lost fumbles. You had the pick. For two, two of those lost fumbles by the Jaguars. To be clear. Yes. Um. So again, down two scores in the first quarter, eleven to nothing. Uh, I think it was eleven to seven at halftime. Is that mm-hmm. the simple story for the running game? James Cook five carries for negative four yards. A tough Jaguars defense, but playing uh, from behind, was there just not even really any chance to get this run game going? I think it's part of that. And I think it's also part of, you know, again, we go back to the shotgun thing, but like there was, you know, when you're running 81% of your plays out of shotgun, there's a lot of like shotgun draws, like delayed handoffs up the middle. um, And they were just getting snuffed out completely. Uh, And so, you know, James Cook, took five carries for negative four yards, but it it seemed like he was hit in the backfield on a delayed handoff and basically all of those carries. Um, He still did play, you know, way more. He played 37 snaps. Damian Harris and Latavius Murray each played 11. But, you know, even in the trailing game script, Cook ran 27 routes. Um, He saw four targets. He was on the field a lot. He was running routes a lot. Like, it the plays just didn't go to him. Um, and whether that's, you know, also we have to keep in mind here that Stefan Diggs had eight catches for 121 and a touchdown and Gabe Davis had six catches for a hundred and a touchdown. So when your top two receiving targets make up for 221 receiving yards, 
you're not saying to the quarterback, hey, why don't you throw to your running back more? You know, like they they were getting open down the field. Cook was on the field running those routes. They just didn't go to him this game. So I do think it's a game where a little bit of game script, a little bit of game plan, and just kind of like bad luck for James Cook. On the other side of the ball, the Jaguars, I feel like we kind of got like an order restoring type game, at least in fantasy. Travis Etienne, by far his best game of the season, 26 carries, 136 yards, two touchdowns, four catches, almost 50 yards receiver. Calvin Ridley, finally back on the scene, seven catches, 122 yards. Christian Kirk did not go away, six catches, 78 yards. I guess they really banged up Bill's defense, like you said, but Basically, we got the Jaguars offense we had been envisioning and hoping for as fantasy managers. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, you know, the the Tank Bigsby preseason talk, I think we crushed that narrative, and it was certainly whatever was left of it was squashed today. Every time he touched the ball, it seemed like a negative play. They, early on in the game, were still bringing him in in like short-yarded situations, even though Etienne had looked so good, and he would always get hit at the line of scrimmage. And at some point in the second half, it it seemed like Bigsby just never saw the field anymore. Um, the And then, you know, Ridley um, and Kirk, basically same amount of snaps, same amount of routes. I mean, there is a slight difference, but essentially the same exact time on the field. Uh, Zay Jones, a distant third in his in this game, coming back from a knee injury, even though he saw a touchdown. Um, he didn't play a full complement of snaps. He was in and out of the game as well. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt but yeah Ridley and Kirk looked really good I I do think like you don't want to take away credit from the Jaguars they look good on offense Trevor Lawrence was fine he wasn't great um you know completed 25 of 37 for 315 yards and a touchdown um but he turned the ball over twice um you know he extended plays with his legs really well seven rushes for 31 yards um you know he he made throws when he needed to i feel like there was some some meat left on the bone but the big story here is also like you mentioned travis etienne and we may be going back to attacking the bills with running backs and part of that is the injuries i mean the bills came into this game without tredavious white and christian benford who were their top two cornerbacks um, they were playing Kair Elam on Calvin Ridley a lot. Elam is a first-round pick who has been inactive for four games to the extent that when they needed a huge third-down stop, they literally just put Micah Hyde in man coverage on Calvin Ridley. And Micah Hyde is a safety. And yes. Ridley burned him down the field, and the Jaguars converted and were able to ice the game. So, like... Keep that in the back of your mind with these with these Jaguars stats, but the Jaguars looked good. And then the key was on the first drive, the Bills lost Matt Milano and Daquan Jones for the game. Both of those guys were playing at a Pro Bowl level through the top four for the through the first four games. Milano is a Pro Bowler. Jones was among the league leaders in you know pressure rate at defensive tackle. Um, and the the Jaguars just gashed the Bills up the middle. Etienne looked great, but also Etienne looked great on just passes to the middle of the field, exactly where Milano would have been. And, you know, the the Bills backup linebackers were just not able to really kind of cover the middle of the field the way Milano does. And so, listen, next week, if the Giants get Saquon Barkley back, you know, I don't think that I don't know that Barkley is going to go for 136 and two touchdowns like Etienne did. But like 
if you know they don't have Milano, Milano's probably out for the year. Hasn't been officially said, but he fractured his leg, and they're getting you know in, in ACL imaging. And Daquan Jones has a pec injury. He's definitely going to be out. Whether it's a strain or a tear, will tell us how long. Um, and that's a huge loss in the middle of the Bills' defense. And I think it makes running backs against them way more palatable than we thought early on. You did say with Trevor Lawrence, it seemed like there was some, it was a bit of a deceiving box score for Trevor Lawrence, though. He didn't play terribly great in this game. He played great kind of when it mattered, though. Yeah. He, he, he did made make some play. big plays down. He made the end. plays you needed him to make. I mean, this is not like, oh, is Trevor Lawrence going to push into the upper echelon? Like, you know, is he taking that next step like we thought? No. But is he a usable fantasy quarterback? And was he making good plays and, and you know, keeping this offense going? Sure. And, you know, is there still potential for growth? Yes. But we're not seeing like a huge jump jump right now through the first five weeks we saw the huge jump that we needed out of joe burrow first 2023 fantasy prospects where the Bengals fueled narrative heading in this game was that joe burrow was as healthy as he had been all season like they were like pushing this narrative like he looks like he might actually be feeling better and it certainly seemed true in the desert Uh, not like the most efficient game ever where he needed 46 attempts to get the 317 yards not amazing efficiency, but three touchdowns, 15-192-3 with Jamar Chase. He knew what to do without T. Higgins in the lineup. Joe Burrow, you mentioned only four carries for seven yards. You mentioned in our Slack as the day went on, actually got some Joe Burrow scrambling. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we say Joe Burrow is back? Is it as simple as that? The calf is ready, and Joe Burrow is now ready to finally deliver some fantasy points. It certainly looked like that. And it's funny because if you remember that injury, that interview that Jamar Chase gave in the preseason that everybody kind of like laughed at, he was like, I just need you to come back by week five and be fully healthy. And, you know, Burrow then played and looked like it looked terrible. But lo and behold, it's week five. He looked great. Um, You know, we saw it early in the game, even before the scrambles, like he was eluding defenders he was spinning out of sacks he was freeing himself from arm tackles these were things we didn't see before it doesn't matter if you know he his he only we only see seven yards rushing on the box score um you know he had to cover up on some like botched handoffs lost some rushing yards that way he extended plays with his legs and then made reads down the field and that was something he wasn't able to do in the first four games and even if it doesn't show up in the box score that's a huge huge reason why he's able to put up the passing game numbers that he did um the cardinals could not cover jamar chase i mean it didn't it didn't matter right i mean he set a bengals franchise record with with 15 catches he was open in the middle of the field he was open deep there were there was still a lot of the same quick hitter stuff that we saw the bengals go to to like compensate for burrow's calf is like you know getting chase in space like eight yards down the field and seeing if he can make guys miss and there was a lot of space um it also helped jamar chase that joe mixon looked terrible Um, and he got stuffed at the one yard line four times in this game. And that led to at least one of Jamar chase's touchdowns when they were just like in the fourth quarter on the fourth attempt that they gave Mixon from the one yard line, he got hit in the backfield. And I think the Bengals were probably just like enough of this. And it was a a touchdown pass to chase on the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to add. You just broke down (laughs) the Bengals offense perfectly the cardinals offense the dream isn't like dying necessarily but kind of coming back down to earth a little bit we got two josh dobbs picks uh, i think we had a josh dobbs lost fumble we had james connor who 
has always had a bit of an injury history, mm-hmm. handling massive workloads so far this season. He got hurt. They said after the game, I was just searching actually for an update while you were talking. And I was barely, looking too. He's barely feeling okay, but that could mean literally anything. We might you need some Monday imaging maybe for James Conner to really know his week six status. I don't even know what we tell people about what happens if James Conner's out for week six. We had Amari De Mercado lead, but Keontae Ingram was inactive with a neck injury. Keontae Ingram could easily come back in and just lead um, this Cardinals backfield if James Conner's out. Uh, I've done a lot of time at the Cardinals offense. How about the person who actually watched the game talk about the Cardinals offense for a minute? I think that the the James Conner injury is the key here, right? Because without James Conner, Josh Dobbs had to do more. Josh Dobbs having to do more led to two interceptions, sack fumble, Cardinals not being able to move the ball. What made Josh Dobbs interesting in like two quarterback leagues and what made him interesting for the fantasy value of the players around him was that he wasn't making mistakes was that he was keeping drives going he was able to you know make smart decisions and he was able to you know allow the cardinals to get in situations where they were you know scoring some points um when it fell on his shoulders he misread some coverages. The second interception was they were down by 14 in the fourth quarter. They were going forward on fourth down. There was a tipped pass in coverage. You know, it was a play that wouldn't have happened if they weren't like in massive catch up mode, but they're going to be in that situation a lot. Um, and so I, I really do think the lack of running game hurts the whole Cardinals offense overall because they need it to settle down Josh Dobbs. They need it to keep pressure off him. They need it to allow some of the passing lanes to open up. You know, Marquise Brown looked good. Um, He looked explosive after the catch. He made um, two big plays. The problem is he had four catches for 61 yards and that touchdown. Those were the big plays, 10 targets, but a lot of those passes were off target. He did drop one. He alligator armed one, but you know, he, that passing game is going to be really inconsistent if it doesn't have a running game to fall back on. I will say that like Imari DiMarcato looked interesting. Like he looked a little slippery. He, I wouldn't say explosive, but I would say um, quick. I would say mildly shifty. And he also, you know, ran over a defender at the two yard line to push himself into the end zone. Um, And this is a guy who split carries with Kendra Miller at TCU last year. Um, and was was pretty good in a good TCU offense. He went undrafted, but it's not as if you know Keontae Ingram, who you know played at two schools in college and was fine but not great, and was a sixth round pick, um, is like so much better than you know um, than him that it has to be Keontae Ingram and not Imari Di Mercado. I, I would. I think one of these guys is going to start next week. Um, I'd be shocked if James Conner, who was ruled out in the second quarter, um, is going to be rushed back for a one in four Cardinals team that you know doesn't really need to compete for anything. Um, and my money right now is on DeMarcado to be you know again we're talking super deep leagues here. This isn't a Jaleel McLaughlin yeah, yeah, go yeah, pick yeah. him up on waivers situation. But listen, you know he was running he was running routes he looked good and you know getting some carries and he's a starting he might be a starting running back in the NFL it'll definitely be a committee as you were just alluding to but it it'll be very pertinent information who is the lead demarcado he may, he was making it too close for comfort as someone who's been stashing Keontae Ingram yeah. in a lot of leagues and uh, Keontae Ingram might not be ready as a neck injury exactly so um, demarcado absolutely someone that needs to be on everyone's waiver uh, radar this week 
And then just quick hitters, you know, Michael Wilson coming off a huge game last week, saw two targets. They were both on the final drive of the fourth quarter. Um, I, I can't really explain why. Um, he obviously is a very talented player. The catch he made was great. Um, and I, I, you know, but that's part of his fantasy value, right? He was great last week and then disappeared. Um, Rondell Moore got more involved because they were basically using him as a running back without James Conner. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned last week, Zach Ertz garbage timed his way to good stats. Well, he had two catches for 10 yards and a touchdown. So the touchdown, if you look at his fantasy points, will make him look great. But you know who else had two catches? Trey McBride. You know who else had two catches? Jeff Swain. Like oh the gosh. Cardinals are running a committee at tight end and Zach Ertz is not looking like he's so much better than those other guys that like if you can get out from under Zach Ertz, uh, I would. I don't think he looks great. Um, and then just the last note on this game in general is Trenton Irwin for the Bengals. Eight catches for 60 yards um, without T. Higgins. He operated primarily as the slot receiver and Tyler Boyd was on the outside. Um, the Bengals have one game and then the bye. They play the Seahawks and then they go on bye. So there's a good chance that they're not going to risk T. Higgins the week before the bye. Um, and if Trenton Irwin is playing, you know, this role again against the Seahawks, he was the second, he was second on the team with 10 targets. Um, that would be an interesting deep league option for you if T. Higgins is out. Um, I think the slot receiver, which was Tyler Boyd's normal role, is a little bit more valuable than when Tyler Boyd gets pushed to the boundary. Tyler Boyd down bad on the outside. And uh, Jeff Swain, that's Jeff with a G. That's Eric with an E. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to break down these games with us. Thanks, Pat. We now have Aditya Foldiore here to talk about the Colts 23-16 to over the Titans. A really strange game, kind of back and forth with field goals, I must say. Got a quarterback change with Anthony Richardson suffering yet another injury. Now this time his shoulder joining his knee and his concussion. We don't have the full word on his injury yet. You might by the time you're listening to the show. Maybe it's, quote, just an AC joint sprain. Maybe it's something more serious, something to keep it locked to rotoworld.com for this week. But Aditya, Jonathan Taylor was coming back, and that's what we were excited about on the cold side in this game. And we were warned that it was going to be a snap count. We were not warned that it was going to be the best game of Zach Moss's life. 23 carries, 165 yards, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I don't even know. This isn't even a question, but uh, just what, what the heck happened? Why? Why is this happening? Yeah, Zach, Zach Moss took full advantage of his lead back duties again. Jonathan Taylor, of course, we knew he was going to be on some kind of a snap count, um, but Zach Moss started the game, um, and he also got the bulk over the red zone carries. He was – there's nothing changed from what he was from week two onwards. He was the lead back. It's just Jonathan Taylor got a couple more carries than a backup uh, for the Colts might have. So it was a lot of Zach Moss, and he took full advantage. The offensive line was uh, clicking on all cylinders. Um, the Tennessee's run defense is usually supposed to be good, but they were not able to bring down Zach Moss. He was he was running like a guy who wanted Jonathan Taylor's contract. <laughs> and that's a great point. The Titans – uh, that's where their reputation is on defense is on the ground and a shockingly good effort for Zach Moss and a guy who if nothing else is making himself some money in the offseason. I believe he's a free agent and definitely immediately highlighting the peril of paying running backs and giving Jonathan Taylor $14 million a year when Zach Moss can drop 165 
on the Titans. What do we think for week six? The Colts are playing the Jaguars. Jags have been pretty stout on defense. They eliminated the Bills run game on Sunday. Uh, safe to say that, I mean, despite the game Zach Moss had, we're probably going to see a lot more work in Jonathan Taylor for Jonathan Taylor in week six, are we not? Yeah, he'll probably get more work. I don't think he'll be at a 100% workload just yet. So Zach Moss isn't going away for week six. He'll still have some kind of standalone value there. But Jonathan Taylor will definitely get more work than his four-ish fantasy points indicated today. So don't fret. Jonathan Taylor's time's coming. He's definitely definitely patience with him. Um, quarterback with the Colts, did things change as we would expect after Anthony Richardson went out? Did it kind of shift to – it didn't shift to more – I guess I, I was going to say did it shift to more pass-heavy, but as we know, we were just talking about the Colts road-paving the Titans on the ground. Uh, but Gardner Minshew, 11-14 to 14 for 155 yards. He sparked pretty good days for Josh Downs and Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, Aditya, for Downs and Pittman in fantasy if Gardner Minshew got a few starts. Not that we want that. We want yeah. Anthony Richardson, his special running ability out there, but – is it safe to say that Gardner Minshew is not hurting anyone, at least in the passing game and their fantasy value? Yeah, I think Gardner Minshew is definitely one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL. He doesn't harm the team when he comes into the game, unlike some other like backup quarterbacks. So when he comes into the game, Josh Downs, Michael Pittman are definitely still fantasy relevant. You're not benching uh, Pittman in most leagues. And Josh Downs, if he's available on waivers, you're probably – scrambling to pick him up his good streaming option he's come on a lot faster than i expected at least for a rookie um overtaken alec pierce easily in that offense so very, josh very downs, easily yeah very, josh, very josh downs is definitely definitely a guy that you want to keep an eye out even with only two teams on by in week six if gardner Minshew and is more like point guard station to station passing starting for the colts josh downs will be in the top 48 aka wide receiver four maybe even wide receiver three in PPR. Titans is another – so Derrick Henry, he got on track last week. I think that was last week at least. Then again, Ty J Spears won't go away. Seven carries, 34 yards. He got the touchdown. What was going on in the Titans' backfield? Ty J Spears looked explosive, and he's more exciting to watch than Derrick Henry, if I can say that. Uh, Derrick Henry – actually cannot. <laughs> um, this is the second time we've had to fire today. I think the first time – forget you brought very unglad tidings to the chat at one point uh we rehired you and i just rehired you <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah no, I, it's that that's crazy to hear but i mean it looks like that from watching this box score that ty j spears was a more fun watch on Sunday. Mm-hmm. yeah ty j spears definitely has more explosiveness to his game it seems like the titans are setting up derrick henry to be the bruiser while ty j spears is more of the explosive guy the the shifty back out of the backfield he has Standalone value, which we haven't seen for running back sharing the backfield with Derrick Henry in previous seasons. So Ty J Spears isn't, isn't going to go away when it's a pass-heavy game script. For when it's a run-heavy game script, the Titans will dominate. Derrick Henry will get like 25 carries, 100 yards. So, But today it was definitely more passing from the Titans. So let's make, Derrick Henry. You make an important point with Ty J Spears where that it's not just contingency value, which again, we haven't seen – and Derrick Henry essentially ever and running backs this really really weird beyond like the top 30 so it's not like where you'd be dying to play Ty J Spears but he's in the top 40 and that is that counts as standalone value you're going to be forced to use Ty J Spears I was forced to use Ty J Spears in the league today actually with four teams on by 
Uh, they get the, the Ravens in week six, then by in week seven. Final thought on this game, eight catches, 140 yards for DeAndre Hopkins. Was it as impressive as it looks in the box score? Yeah, he, he reestablished himself as an alpha receiver. He was making contested catches and being physical after the catch. So he's he's a guy that he's, he's still got it. Um, it's just going to be days where the Titans are using Derrick Henry more or are they using DeAndre Hopkins more. Um, where Days where it's a Derrick Henry game, DeAndre Hopkins will have like seven targets, four or five catches and look unimpressive, but he's still got um, that – he still got that wide receiver one ability in him. Yeah, the Titans, this just a strange offense this year. Ryan Tannehill's kind of slowly being ushered out. Even Derrick Henry's kind of slowly being ushered out. They're a team in transition, kind of hard to get a grip on on a weekly basis, but they've got some fantasy value. We just don't necessarily know it's going to be popping any given week. Uh, we know that Aditya will be popping any given week with great analysis. Aditya, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks. We are now joined by Lawrence Jackson after a one-week break, uh, coming back into the blurb game with the Jets and the Broncos. Oh, yeah, kind of a rough watch, Lawrence. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Disjointed game, a lot of turnovers, a lot of sacks. Actually, not as many turnovers as you think. Oh, yeah, never mind. Four lost fumbles. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, well, two of those were from everybody's favorite fantasy rookie, Marvin Mims. Oof, yeah. that's. uh, I think that's what you would call a tough scene. (laughs) A real, real tough scene for explosive play guy, Marvin Mims, but not a tough scene for explosive play guy, Brees Hall. 22 carries, 177 yards. A touchdown, 72-yard touchdown. You could say it's one big play, but it wasn't just one big play for one. And one big play, he's that kind of player. He's the kind of guy who's supposed to do that kind of thing. Is it safe to say Brees Hall is back in fantasy? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and even – like, I never take away somebody's long run, even if they're not a player who usually – does that you know why because they did it that day they did but do it say, <laughs> it happened <laughs> but 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 let's say you did right he still would have had say 21 carries for 105 yards i believe so I believe so yeah so uh, he, pretty he, good day he, still five yards a clip yeah he was uh gashing them con- pretty consistently um all day and uh you know my man Dalvin Cook pretty much was there to spell Brees Hall for, you know, a break here and there. That's why you see uh, he ended with uh, six carries for 23 yards. It was pretty much Brees Hall, you know, running back one. And he's a, you know, he's a top five option if he sees this type of work. Actually ended with uh, 25 total touches and. You know, he looked great running the ball. Like like you said, it wasn't just the one uh, 72-yard touchdown. He was just – he'd get eight yards here, six yards there. Um, didn't do much in the receiving game, but he didn't have to. Uh, they pretty much rode him to victory. And it's extra encouraging because it came the week where they said that he was back. Basically, The Jets announced that he was back but they weren't rationing his touches anymore. It was a really, really advantageous matchup, of course, in the Broncos. Horrible defense. The Eagles in week six have a much tougher run defense. But it's the week seven bye, and he comes out of that with the Giants, the Chargers, the Raiders, a really banged up Bills run defense. And He might have a quieter day in week six, Brees Hall, especially with Zach Wilson 
is not going to be able to match points with the Eagles. I think after that week seven bye too, like Brees Hall could like really be kind of carrying teams heading into the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I think that you know, I well obviously after a game like that where he gained over a hundred and ninety scrimmage yards, that you know that buy low window is kind of closed now. Regardless of how he performs uh, against the Eagles, all you have to do is look and see that schedule, and um, you know you'll know what's up. But uh yeah, man, uh it was not at all uh, a timeshare, like even you know, even at the end of the game, he you know, he's still uh getting carries. So it was it was good to see him uh, you know, get back going versus the Broncos, who that's who he, you know, went off against last year and that's suffered right. the injury. So yeah, man. Not as cheery of news in the rest of the Jets' offense. Where Zach Wilson looked like he took a step forward by his standards, at least in Week Four. He didn't necessarily take two steps back against the Broncos, but he definitely also did not take another step forward and against a bad yeah, um, Broncos defense. What liked, was going? What was going on with him? You would like to see him perform a little better against that defense, especially the because the running game was working for them so well uh usually that's what opens up the pass and later in the game they got wise and used the play action that's when he finally hit Garrett Wilson for the 32 yard game but you know uh he he kept the ball out of harm's way uh for most of the game until the end where he could have potentially uh lost them the game but uh the Jets defense held up for him and uh and saved him there. But like, yeah, it wasn't great in it, you know, it wasn't the worst either. You know, it was simply just good enough for them to win. If you look at the numbers, 19 to 25 or 19 to 26 for 198, like if he's completing passes at that clip, you could live with that. You could. You know? and yeah, it was it wasn't a total meltdown. That's what we needed to. We didn't he didn't go back into like meltdown Zach Wilson mode. And, and he did what they needed to get the win because they really needed to get that win because they're probably going to lose to the Eagles and be two and four heading into their bye. With the Jets defense, you know, they could win any game. But they, they had to have this game. And Zach yeah, Wilson had did not to cost them this game. The other side, I mean, what did we see from Russ? We, we keep getting like basically usable box scores from Russ in fantasy. They don't look horrible yeah, from nah, a real he, life he, perspective, he, he, but they he, keep he, losing. Yeah, he came in uh, as QB9 this week uh, and, you know, did fine um, until he lost the fumble on the last play. But at that point, they was, you know, they was reaching for the stars at that point. But um, <laughs> they really were. They were down 10 points. Yeah, the Jets actually score. was, you know, the Jets uh, front four had pressure on him all game and that's why you see this seven carries for 49 which is a good rushing number for him that's like a throwback russ type of running day so he was very good uh running the ball um as far as the passing goes you know he spread the ball around um so i mean he did decent in the passing game considering Corlin sutton didn't catch a pass until the uh the fourth quarter uh, so he spread the ball around there. Judy leading them in targets. 
the Judy, you know, six catches for 50 yards has become like the normal Jerry Judy stat line. It's quite sad. It's never going to be a touchdown. It's just going to be that uh, six catches for 50 yards, and that's just what you're going to get from Judy. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan got involved in the passing game, but it should be noted that half of those yards came when they were down 10. It's a garbage time dump off, and the Jets' defense was like playing prevent, so he had a lot of room to run under the umbrella and, uh, <laughs> you know, get to that 73 rushing yards that he, I'm sorry, receiving yards that he had. Um, it was actually. Jaleel McLaughlin, who was more effective uh, on the ground and in the receiving game, had a 22-yard burst for a touchdown on a little dump-off pass, had another 38-yard run where he just showed his uh, explosiveness and suddenness uh, running the ball. So he was he was their, he was their best player on the offense today. Yeah, that, I'm glad to hear you confirm that because that – Seemed evident from the box score: nine carries, sixty-eight yards, thirty-eight yard run, and then with the twenty-two yard catch and the touchdown, it's tough because it seemed like Javante Williams was close to playing today, and then Javante Williams will probably be back for Week Six. Yeah, it, it, but Javante hasn't shown a ton. He wasn't a Sean Payton guy. I could. It's a short week too, so Javante might not be ready to face the Chiefs on Thursday evening. Could maybe see Julian McLaughlin remaining involved like an eight to 12 touch range does that sound yeah and and that's you know that's what he's gotten you know the past two games uh last game 72 rush yards on seven carries this game 68 on nine carries so you could give him that uh in the running game and then a couple of uh a couple of targets in the passing game he'll he will do something with that Man, what has happened to our guy Jerry Judy? By the way, I just haven't gotten, haven't gotten anything, man. It's just, it's just that's what you. That's, <laughs> that's what, what you're gonna get. Six for fifty. We'll get nothing and like it. And man, Marvin Mims. Whew, I really hope he can stay out of the doghouse, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people wanting to play, um, you know, but he hasn't really shown that he uh, could be the complete receiver that they need. They try to get him the ball uh, a couple of times. They tried to uh, use him on a reverse, and that's where he fumbled the ball. I didn't like the play call from the jump, though. It just wasn't a good time to call a double reverse. He fumbled that. That's right. I oh, that that was not his fault. It was sort of his fault, but it was not a great uh, play call, like you said. It wasn't a great pitch either. I thought he should have caught that. He, I mean, but okay, he no, got, don't get me wrong. He should have caught it, but it he, wasn't he, perfect. He he would have got killed whether he caught it or not. Other than that, he had one catch for four yards. Uh, he muffed the punt. So, uh, yeah, nah, not a good day at the office uh, there for the young Marvin Mills, but he's a rookie, and uh, better days uh, shall lie ahead for him. Lawrence, uh, thanks for keeping it real on Marvin Mims. <laughs> <laughs> not letting him off the hook. Uh, thanks for keeping it real, as always. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us. No doubt, no doubt. We now have Mark Garcia to talk. What was the highest total game, I believe, of Week 6? Chiefs-Vikings, but I believe also hit the under with the Chiefs winning 27-20. to 20. I feel like the Chiefs are going under a lot this year, Mark. 
And maybe part of that's because they don't have a receiver core, but it doesn't matter, question mark. <laughs> they keep winning anyway, and we keep not even getting fantasy points out of it, and it's very weird, and I don't like it. Yeah, it's gross, right? We're not accustomed to this. Um, outside of their week three uh, shellacking of the Chicago Bears, 41 points that they put up in that game, uh, this hasn't been the same Kansas City Chiefs offense that we're kind of used to here. Um, more the same of that in this spot against Minnesota, and it kind of came down to Kansas City just being able to control the game. Um, they did a lot of that through their defense. They were able to generate some pressure on Kirk Cousins, uh, and it was kind of interesting to see the heavy blitz rates of Minnesota's defense uh, and how that was going to play because there's like two cardinal rules in NFL as a defensive coordinator. You don't blitz Patrick Mahomes and you don't play man coverage against the Miami Dolphins. So we saw both of those today. <laughs> um, yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was honestly a, a more of a dink and dunk kind of short area, sustained drive offensive game plan from the Chiefs here. Um, Travis Kelsey left before halftime uh, to get x-rays came back on the field and missed the entire first or the, the, the first uh, series from the chiefs on the, in the second half. Uh, but he was, he kept like being, they kept showing Kelsey on the sideline and being like legitimately restrained and pulled back off the field by his <laughs> coaching staff. So he was like, I want, put me in coach. I'm ready. Uh, and he has an ankle issue. We don't know the extent of that. There hasn't been an update report yet out from Kansas City, um, but we know it was bad enough to go in and get x-rays prior to halftime. Uh, but he did come back, finish the game, scored a touchdown after uh, all that went down. So, I mean, it's that dude is an animal. Said the Chiefs keep getting away with it. They probably would not be able to get away with that without Travis Kelsey. And that was real, like kind of like a life flashing for the Chiefs' eyes where they just have to figure out something out behind Travis Kelsey. We did get another Rasheed Rice touchdown. He's having a much better rookie season as a second round rookie than Sky Moore did last year, but hasn't had like what you deem a spiked week. Uh, he's just finding the end zone occasionally. Is is that a correct breakdown of what we're getting from Rasheed Rice? Yes. And over last season and then during the first three games of this season, we at least knew that Marcus Valdez Scantling was going to be involved. He was going to be running those deep routes. Now we don't even have that because that role is being split between um, between he, Marcus Valdez Scantling, Justin Watson, and Justin Ross. They're all kind of running this um, speedy Z type wide receiver role. Then you have Kadarius Tony, who's running all the short area stuff, the schemed usage, that gadgety type player. And you have uh, Rasheed Rice and, and um, Sky Moore, who are kind of playing a similar position as well. So they have not, nobody's separated from the pack from this grouping. And it's even more convoluted than it was to start the season. So it, it truly is a case of Travis Kelsey and they're trying to figure out they're like, please somebody separate so that we can run a more, not basic, but run a more condensed offense. And as of right now, they're not there. Uh, I don't think they have to be there. That said um, at this point in the season, and they're probably going to get more condensed as the, as the season progresses. Uh, But yeah, right now it's who scores a touchdown. They might be fantasy relevant outside of that. It's Travis Kelsey. Yeah, you're right. It's getting more confusing and not less. And you're correct that it'll probably get less confusing as the playoffs get closer because the Chiefs are kind of like the Golden State Warriors in their golden age where like they're just trying to figure it out for the playoffs. Yeah, we'll figure this out in December. And they would prefer to be the one or two seed. So they almost never lose at Arrowhead Stadium in the playoffs, but they just they want to get to the playoffs, have it figured out by then. I mean, it's just because nuts. Justin Watson, two catches, Rice, four, Justin Ross, two. Tony five for 26 MVS one Skymore two. It's like, 
they really are just like just rotating guys as much as possible and praying that somebody like eventually claims a more meaningful role. Yeah, a week after 10 different pass catchers were targeted in week four, 10 different pass catchers had a reception in week five. Man, that is a crazy, crazy stat. And see something kind of similar from the Vikings, partly because Justin Jefferson, the part of the hamstring injury, how serious did that appear? I and mean, he was still on the sideline. Um, and what was going on with the, the, the Vikings passing? I didn't necessarily miss fire. It did late in the game. Uh, but yeah, well, just tell us about the Vikings offense on Sunday. I don't have a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin O'Connell's offense looks very one dimensional right now, um, which does. is maddening because he's got guys like Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson uh, and Jordan Addison, who we'll talk about him here shortly. Um, he has all these elite or el- at least highly athletic pieces uh, to play with, but he's confining TJ Hawkinson to this sub five, eight out role over the middle of the field. It's very, he's not running him routes. It's almost entirely bump and run. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the state of this offensive line and pass protection as well. Um, but Justin Jefferson being that piece that is the the queen chess piece of this offense, the guy who can be moved around the motion man a lot um, to take advantage of this too high base shell of the NFL, the, the kind of we've gone to now um, it was just taken away. And Steve Spagnuolo designed an awesome defensive game plan to just take Justin Jefferson away. Uh, I mean, he only had, six targets and he left uh, with about 12, uh, about 11 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. So at that point um, it's not just that like he was injured and he didn't play a full game. It's this <laughs> Steve Spagnuolo did a great job of taking Justin Jefferson away and the kind of one dimensional nature of Kevin O'Connell's offense right now could not overcome that. Um, it was the same thing. They're very, very static in the sense that we know they're going to play increased rates of heavy personnel, primarily 12 personnel when they're competitive or in positive game environments in negative game environments, they're just going to shift to 11 personnel. And that's why you see a guy like Jordan Addison, who has a stark contrast in snap rates and route run rates in those different game environments. So negative game environments, this rookie is running routes at an 85% clip outside of that. He's down before below like 65%. So um, that tells me that this offense is just not, running up to its full potential just yet no and also just literally not running a lot of the time even though this game (laughs) was tied at halftime alexander madison pretty definitively held off cam Akers in week four far less definitive here in week five he did get the receiving touchdown he did lead in carries but only eight carries for 26 yards five for 15 for cam Akers. what can you tell people that's not in the box score there the offensive line is not generating yards before contact and these are two of the bottom three uh, running backs in the league right now in efficiency metrics. So that is a bad recipe, uh, and very, we're kind of seeing that. Very, very bad mix. Some might say the worst mix possible. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, Chiefs, <laughs> I mean, Isaiah Pacheco, uh, not that he had ever lost control of this backfield, but it certainly seemed like he's consolidated things to the point that we can call him like a safe top eight. So not just a safe RB2, but – kind of creeping into like safe top 18 territory on a weekly basis. Is that maybe too bullish on Isaiah Pacheco? I think so. And I think the, the truth that I think lies in the numbers because the Kansas city chiefs offensive line is blocking to 1.5 yards before contact. That's tied for third best in the league this year. 
And yet Pacheco is consistently churning out these sub four yard per carry games. Um, it's almost a, a, a case of this guy just gets a full head of steam right as he touches the ball. And that patience I haven't seen just yet. No. So I don't think he's allowing that uh, those lanes to develop and that blocking scheme to develop. He's kind of just take the football and run really, really fast. <laughs> and he's running into the back of his offensive line a lot. He's angry running. They're very, very angry runs. No one will debate that. Um, no one will debate. That was really good stuff. Mark, any final thoughts? Or are we good? Uh, the Vikings are in hot water, we'll say. They're four <laughs> games back now with the Lions winning this week uh, in a not very competitive division. So uh, they've got some work to do for sure. Some people are saying, Mark, that it's Jover. Um, it might just be Jover, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and also that uh, one score luck has a way of boomeranging back around. The ultimate one score team in 2022, now all four of their losses, I believe, have yep. been one score losses. And yep. Regression comes for us all, except for Mark's amazing analysis. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Pat. We'll see you. We're now joined by Zach Kruger, who witnessed um, something this afternoon. It's a little hard to say what it was other than a 17 to 10 Steelers box score. And Zach, another Ravens box score that just doesn't look great. Didn't get home for fantasy. No receiving touchdowns. No Lamar Jackson rushing touchdowns today. He had been living off those the past few weeks. The, The box scores hadn't mattered a ton so far for the Ravens. They looked ugly. They had mostly getting the wins with the exception of overtime against the Colts two weeks ago, but it very much mattered on Sunday where the uninspiring production matched what really seems to be an uninspiring and really kind of unacceptable result for the Ravens. Yeah. So if there's one thing that we learned today, it's that a $15 million contract to Odell Beckham Jr. Plus the signing of Nelson Aguilar and the drafting of Zay Flowers doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go without drops on the season. We, we counted roughly six drops for the, for the Ravens today on just some egregious and they were egregious drops. Lamar Jackson, by all accounts, had a good game, in my opinion. If, if you add those drops back in, he would have been 28 for 38 passing on the day. Uh, he would have gone for over 250 yards. He would have had at least one touchdown. Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews uh, dropped the touchdown in the end zone on back-to-back plays in the second quarter, which ended in a Justin Tucker field goal instead of seven points. So so Lamar Jackson, I thought, looked good until it got late, and he basically had to play hero ball to bail his team out of a horrible you know, four quarters. And that was when the interception came up after they were already trailing. And that was later on. Then when they fumbled the ball uh, with the game, pretty much already out of reach. And, and the score is, is what it is. 17 to 10 Steelers over the Ravens. But I thought Lamar Jackson did play well for the most part. He still had 45 rushing yards on the ground. Uh, one of the other players who was just a key factor in these drops was Dave flowers who dropped a very easy pass Early in the game, uh, he finished the day with five catches for 73 yards. He could have had closer to 100 yards if he would have caught the pass that he didn't haul in. Nelson Aguilar, four catches for 64 yards. He dropped the pass that would have gone for about a 40-yard touchdown. A bad drop. His, I, I saw just, that one. It's just a, a bad one. drop. Like, like I, I mean, between the drop touchdown and then an opportunity on a fourth and two where the Ravens decided to go for it, when it, it was a weird situation. It was fourth and two. The Ravens looked like they were possibly trying to go for it. According to the center after the game, uh, Tyler Linderbaum, he said that the reason that he snapped the ball, which was apparently not not in the playbook for John Harbaugh, Linderbaum said he snapped the ball because he thought a defender was offside, so refs didn't call it. What could have been a field goal to close out the first half ended up just being a, a turnover on downs, which left another three points on the board. So in total, the Ravens left about 
seven. Uh, they left about 10 points on the board in addition to, you know, a couple of drop touchdowns. So it was a bad day overall. Sam Hoppin of Fantasy Pros posted a stat after the game. The Ravens lost 5.41 expected points added on their drops alone today and then had a minus 14 EPA lost on turnovers. Uh, and, and the story really was Lamar Jackson playing relatively well and his receivers just not showing up when it mattered the most. So credit to the Steelers. They certainly pulled it out. Kenny Pickett did a lot. Uh, in that fourth quarter to to get to the game-winning drive. But it just was not a game that I think that Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, um, should have lost in this one. No, they should not have. And they're going to be kicking themselves at the end of the season You know, if it comes down to a game, which it so often does, either for the division or the playoffs. Is this not one they should have lost? Kenny Pickett playing on one knee. Steelers rushing attack, totally ineffective. Nine for 40 for Jalen Warren. That, more effective than Najee Harris, which was – 14 for 37. I'm going to ask you about George Pickens in a minute, who did blow up the box score, the one Steeler who did do so. But Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, was it as stark as it appears in the box score? With Jalen Warren, who's not been having a great year, by the way, um, having a good day, and Najee Harris having a bad day. Yeah, so, so Jalen Warren had 79 yards from scrimmage on 12 touches on the day. 49 of those yards came on a drive where he ripped off a 23-yard run. Uh, or I'm sorry, a 16-yard run, and then also a 10-yard run, followed by also a 23-yard reception. So the majority of his yards came on a singular drive, which ended in a Steelers uh, field goal. All that effort for a field goal, you know, we love to see it. But um, but but Warren, it. I, it, it is honestly crazy the way we have seen the Steelers running backs look this this season because you you are correct in your assessment neither of them have been good but you can still tell that warren is a far more explosive back in the offense who they just refuse to give the majority of the touches to he had 12 touches in this game Najee harris had 15 touches uh for 40 total yards so it it was just one of those days where again the steelers are going to stick with their first round running back over the the more explosive undrafted free agent from last season, despite the fact that on a per-touch basis, Jalen Warren is the more efficient back, despite the fact that for fantasy managers, at least, Jalen Warren has outscored Najee Harris in every single game this season in PPR leagues. Uh, It's just one of those kind of weird things where we can see with our eyes that that Jalen Warren is the the better player, most likely. He's certainly the more explosive one, and the Steelers are just going to keep on feeding uh, Najee. So, Yes, you are correct. Overall, not a great day for either either running back. But if you had to say who looked better, it was once again Jalen Warren for now the fifth consecutive week. It's weird. Jalen, he keeps acing the eye test relative to Najee. Najee had been doing a little better in some of the advanced stats, but just didn't do well in anything on Sunday. And this seems more like who Najee is, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, Najee is a player who I believe is something like top five in stuff rate, which is obviously not good. It's like he's getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage all the time. But then he weirdly makes up for it with this like one or two random 15-yard runs every week where they're like, oh, well, he's also the leader in explosive runs, which I'm, I'm trying to figure out how good or bad that is when if you're getting tackled for no gain or a loss on 50% of your attempts, then the occasional 15-yard gain probably isn't really helping your team out too much. But nevertheless, that's what Najee Harris is. It's a, it's a true boomer bust uh, opportunity with every time he touches the ball. Didn't like what we got out of Najee. Did like what we got out of George Pickens. Again, six for 130 and a touchdown. The long gain, only 41 yards. So consistently ripping what I assume are pretty good gains. Uh, what did the touchdown look like? Does, did the box score match the eye test, basically? Could George Pickens... He's kind of a controversial player coming this season. He didn't command targets as a rookie, as we kept saying. He's been commanding more of them as a sophomore. 
It's been with Deontay Johnson on injured reserve, but really a player who seems to be in the midst of a sophomore leap. Yeah, well, George Pickens, you, you say he's a controversial player for a couple of reasons. You mentioned not committing targets as a rookie. The other thing that surrounds a lot of that controversy is the fact that George Pickens does not separate, and and no, it, and, and that showed and that showed up in this game on several of his targets. But he's also a guy who, whenever the ball is in the air, you can just tell like he has the spatial awareness and and the knowledge of how to use his body relative to a defender to haul in the catch to get the toes down. Like everything you would like to see in a receiver who who can separate and occasionally has to make the contested catch. George Pickens has just been making contested catches his whole life because he can't separate, and he looks like a guy who is better at than most receivers in the league. So um, the 41-yard touchdown that he had late in the fourth quarter, it was was with less than two minutes to go. This ultimately won the game for the Steelers. That came on a 41-yard touchdown on the right sideline. He actually did beat uh, Marlon Humphrey in his first game back for the 41-yard touchdown, which was, I mean, it was just a a matter of it was one-on-one coverage on the outside. Pickett saw Pickens, he lobbed it up to him, and Pickens outran Humphrey to the ball and hauled it in for the long score. But other than that, it was a handful of 15 to 20-yard receptions for Pickens on the day, most of them contested. And it, 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 I don't know if it matters if George Pickens can or can't separate because he just looks so impressive every time the ball is thrown in his direction. I think Kenny Pickett trusts him enough to give him those opportunities to make the contested t- catches, and it, it worked out basically six out of ten times today. That's what his, his line was, six catches, 130 yards on 10 targets targets with the touchdown so uh, why not it, certainly I think Deontay Johnson is going to command the targets more when he returns possibly in week seven after the bye but Pickens is a guy who I think is is been more than efficient with the opportunities given him during Johnson's absence you took the words right out of my mouth there where they're, they're headed on by in week six and then Deontay, Deontay Johnson is eligible to return in week seven against the Rams haven't heard a ton on Deontay Johnson but keep it locked to rotorworld.com where you should hear a ton about Deontay Johnson um, Zach, uh, another weird one. Uh, never normal with these Ravens or these Steelers. Uh, no, only, only other only other thing I'm going to add in here real quick because someone did, I did see something about the split in the Ravens backfield. It was 12 carries for Gus Edwards, 48 empty yards, no touchdown. Justice Hill, seven carries for 32 yards and a touchdown. This Ravens backfield is pretty split, but it's also a very touchdown dependent backfield. So when you're looking at these carries and, and you're looking at these touchdowns, it just it's a backfield I'm basically approaching with caution. And the caution that I'm using is avoid at all costs because the, we just have a bunch of touchdown dependent backs at this point in time, and none of them are particularly great. Sounds very good to me. I don't need any other reason to bench Steelers running backs. <laughs> so Zach, extremely good stuff on Steelers Ravens. Amazing stuff as always from Denny, from Kyle from Aditya, from Eric Samalski, from Lawrence Jackson, Mark Garcia. Broke down the whole slate for everybody. They'll be breaking down all of week six on the site this week as we get ready to preview yet another week. Only two teams on by, close to a full slate. So keep it locked to Roto World. Uh, check out Zach's usage report on Wednesday. Right there, right? <laughs> uh, snap report on Wednesday, expected points on Friday. There you go. So it's amazing stuff from Zach. All my rankings up. We'll have everything up. So for the whole gang, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.